Have you ever seen something that you were captivated or amazed by? Maybe a portrait, maybe uh, an object, maybe someone that as you just kind of meditated and, and just looked at it, that you saw something that was beautiful. So I encourage you today that, it, that we don't have to wait to see what God is doing, that we can truly see God working today. Don't you want to see God doing what he does best? Don't you want to see Jesus at the center of it all? So I encourage you today as we jump into this that uh, you would just allow God to speak to you, allow to see through the words and through the images that may come up that you would see the wonderful work of God. You turn with me to the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 23 and 24, and most of our uh, scripture text will be coming from the ESV, the English Standard Version this morning. In the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 23 and 24 reads, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The title of the message this morning is Blessed to See. In the book of Luke, Jesus is preaching and teaching. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. And many are coming to follow Jesus Christ and his ministry. But in this particular passage, he has 70 others beside the 12 disciples that have been chosen to follow him, that he are leading them to go and do a great work for the kingdom. So Jesus is sending them out two by two into other cities. We see in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 9, he tells them what their mission is, to heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. See, this meant that the healing was a part of their preaching. As part of the healing the sick, they described what the kingdom of God was like, what it was about from what Jesus had taught them and showed them. And so they're going into the city. They're sharing the good news. They're telling them that the kingdom of God has come, that the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, the one that God was sending, that as we sat in darkness that day, they saw a great light, and that light was Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so he told them to go and heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. See, additionally, he told them something else. He told them to take nothing of substance with them. No money, no shoes. He tells them to go into a home that receives them. Don't try to do it for yourself. Don't try to make money. Don't try to earn your food, but a home that receives you and they'll feed you. They'll take care of you. In other words, allow the Lord to provide for you. Allow him to be your source. 
as you go out, trust in the Lord and lean not into your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. Allow the Lord to provide for you. And the Bible says they came back after all of this, after going, healing the sick, proclaiming the kingdom of God, seeing many things, even demons and devils. He said, the Bible says, they came back rejoicing. See, look with me in verse 17 of Luke 10. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. See, with great joy, they made that statement. See, it was never something that Jesus told them to do. He told them to go heal. He told them to proclaim the kingdom of God. But he never told them to cast out or have anything to do with the demons. But they made a statement. See, as they were going and they were sharing, they had some encounters. They had some folks that they needed to deal with. They had some situations that came up. See this phrase here. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's important that we talk a little bit about that. I've been reading quite a bit and, and just really just allowing myself to, to understand what that means in your name. And see, so often if we're not careful, we can get that misunderstood. And we can think that just by the mere saying the name of Jesus that it's going to cause or evoke some power or authority like a charm or enchantment. But that's not what it's talking about. See, it's talking about meaning the, the authority of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. And because they went doing the work of Jesus, because they went sharing the good news that the kingdom of God has come, See, the Bible reminds us when two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. See, when they were sharing and they were witnessing about what Jesus had done for them and what Jesus was doing for the whole world, the very presence of Jesus came into place. And so in his name, by his authority, by his will, by his desire, they went before the people and they shared the good news. And as we share and proclaim Jesus in our life, guess what? He shows up every time. He's in the presence. He's in the place. And then, therefore, his name is powerful because we're talking about the one who did it all. See, in your name also, as they made that statement, shows they didn't take the credit for themselves. That they gave the credit over the one who was worthy of it all. Because Jesus has overcome and will overcome. See, he hadn't even went to the cross yet and they knew it. They knew it was the power and authority of Jesus. And so they relied upon him. They trusted in him. Even with the little things, with the small things, and it just grew. They didn't go into their own understanding. See, there were those that tried to go into their own understanding. We see it in the book of Acts, where there was these Jewish exorcists, that these Jewish exorcists, because they heard Paul talking about Jesus and, and saying the name of Jesus, they thought that they could just say the name and they, they would receive the same results. 
And so as they were trying to cast out these devils, they say, we cast you out by the name of Jesus that Paul preached. And that demon said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? And scriptures went on to say that they beat them and ran them out. And they flew from that place beaten and naked. They ripped the clothes off of them. And they had, did, they had said the name of Jesus. But they lacked the power within. They lacked the presence of Jesus in the place. They lacked surrendering and trusting him in all things and leaning not to their own understanding. And so I say to you, saints of God, don't forget it's not just saying the name. But it's Jesus who is the name above every name. That he wants to be high and lifted up. Look with me in Luke's the 10th chapter, verse 18 through 19. It says this, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. See, this, mean, this does not mean he fell from having access to heaven because we see that Satan still is able to have access into the throne room of God to go into heaven and accuse the body of believers, accuse the saints, an accuser of the brethren. But what this means is that his authority over anything that God has, over anything that God does, his authority over Jesus, that at the moment he turned his heart, he was instantly cast down. And Jesus said, I saw Satan cast down like lightning. Because he stopped trusting God. He stopped loving God, being obedient to God. So Satan's authority and power was diminished under the authority of Jesus. See, Jesus says, I witnessed it firsthand. His authority and his power is not greater than my authority and my power. See, we see where Jesus spoke of Satan in this falling in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14 through 16, if you'd go there with me. He says, you were anointed, you were the anointed cherubim who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you over covering cherub from the mist of the fiery stone. See that separation 
an instant of casting down. And to mean that Jesus has authority over Satan and his demons. And Satan no longer has authority over the sheriff or anything in heaven. So the question is, why did Jesus turn to the twelve and say, blessed are your eyes that see? Now, I just want to share those with you real quickly before we jump into the why of it all and able to just detail it out. See, the corruption of sin, the stronghold of sin being cast down and under the authority of Jesus, they got to see it firsthand. They got to see the authority of sin and death coming under the authority of Christ. They got to see men and women being set free by Christ. And that he would go to the cross and die for all of mankind so that them that believe in him should no longer be in bondage but be set free. They were able to see and their eyes were blessed to see that the kingdom of God has come. And these 70 were rejoicing over it. That Christ is holy. That he's consecrated. That he's set apart. That he has a work. And that as we trust in him, we can be wholly consecrated and set apart for the kingdom of God. And so in order to be blessed to see, there must be some things that must happen. Because it doesn't just happen without us doing something, without us being able to move to a certain place. I'd like to share that with you this morning. In order to be blessed to see, you must make the appointment. In order to be blessed to see, you must prepare for resistance. In order to be blessed to see, you must be like little children. You ever heard that sound where children will talk to you and they say, I see it. I see them, Daddy. I see angels. Make the appointment, prepare for resistance, and be like little children. If you turn with me to Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 1 through 2, it says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, Jesus is talking to these 12, and he's appointing them. He's sending them out. And so as we think about this idea of making the appointment, that it really means don't miss the appointment. That God has an appointment for each and every one of us. And you know, like sometimes we can be late to the doctor's appointment. We can be late to school. We can be late to this. Don't miss the appointment that God has for you. Know who is giving the assignment. 
Just like Samuel when he was laying in his bed and he kept hearing something and he would go and, and ask, did you call me? And his mentor said to him, he said, go lay back down. When you hear again, say, here, Lord, here am I. See, God is speaking. He wants to use us for a divine purpose. But if we're not careful, we can get so busy in this world, we can miss those appointments over and over. We can miss God calling out to us. We can be too asleep or too distracted that we won't hear his voice. And just like Jesus assigned these 70, he has an assignment for each and every one of us. If he gives it to you, he will prepare you. He will equip you and he will sustain you. So you can trust him. Many opportunities and blessings from the Lord have seasons and time stamps on them. It's so important that we recognize that. That it's not going to always be there that way if we let those seasons and those times pass us by. That it's so important that we savor the moment, that we seize the moment, that we're listening intently to his voice. And when he calls out to us, we say, yes, Lord, here am I. We step out and we meet the appointment that God has for us. If we miss the time to go with him, we will miss the destinations that God is calling us to travel on. And we won't get to that appointed place at the appointed time for God to do some amazing things. And we'll miss seeing what God is doing. So don't miss the appointments that God has for you. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. We must be, we must ready ourselves and show up for the appointment that God has. The next point that I'd like to share with you is prepare for resistance. If you look with me in book, the book of Luke. 10th chapter, verse 10 through 13, here's what it says. Jesus was preparing these 70 for what they would encounter. And so it says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. See, Jesus is preparing and reminding them that it's not going to be easy, that there's going to be some folks that's going to reject you. There's going to be some folks that don't want to hear. So he's helping to remind them to prepare yourself for those who will refuse to see Jesus. He's telling them, don't carry it with you. Dust it off. See, in this world, we're going to have those times where people are just not going to want to hear. They're not going to want to receive. 
And so he says, don't make that, don't carry that with you. So part of this preparation is also preparing yourself not to resist. See, we can, we can take rejection and we can take hardship the wrong way. And we can be like, well, I'm not going to let nobody talk to me that way no more. Or that was too hard. That took too much out of me. And before you know, the resistance is in us. So it's not only preparing for the resistance of others, but prepare for the resistance within you. Prepare your heart and mind for how you are going to respond. The resistance in you and from you. Because the reality is they will reject. There will be folks that's going to say you crazy. There will be others that's like, why are you talking to me about that, that fake story, that fiction? Don't run away or quit when it gets hard, because it will. And if you run away thinking nobody wants to hear it, there's not enough showing up. You will miss what the Lord is doing. Sometimes you're only going to have two at your Bible study. Preach like there's 2,000. Be willing to go to the next town. Don't look at the past. Don't look like what happened and said, oh, man, ain't nobody heard. Nobody going to hear the next town either. Nobody going to want to hear at my workplace. Nobody's going to want to hear at my school. Before you know, we've already created so much resistance in us, we become stifled and muffled. We become joyless. So be willing to go to the next town, to the next person. Don't let the rejection stop you. You are not being rejected. Christ is. And he gave us an example. Mighty works were still being done. See, so often we can look at, you know, their rejection, their turning away, but we forget. He said mighty works were done there. Even though people would not receive and refuse to see. Give yourself a chance to see. Scripture says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, the tasting is instant, but the seeing takes a, takes some while. See, we remember the natural eyes does not focus as well and as quickly as the spiritual eyes on spiritual things. See, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities enthroned in high places. That it's a spiritual warfare and wrestling going on. It's so important that we see the true fight, the true wrestle. Give it time and have the right expectation. Your expectation should always be in Christ, in Christ alone. That he can do it all, that he has authority over it all. That where we are unable, he is always and remember that God is long-suffering and patient. He is willing to see it through. So maybe we don't see it today. Maybe not tomorrow. 
idea to the Lord. So make the appointment. Prepare for resistance. And be like little children. Luke chapter 10 verse 21 says this. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. See, he's reminding us of the simplicity of the gospel, that a little child can receive it. That a little child can be joyful and rejoicing. And so he said, be like little children. Stop going into every encounter with your grown-up knowledge. <laughs> See, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Look at 1 Corinthians 8.1. He said, this knowledge, our own knowledge in our own eyes and our own ways, puffs up. But love builds up. You know, sometimes people, when they're at a place, they can't receive all that knowledge. You're trying to tell them the ABCs and the XYZs of all the gospel. You're trying to give them theology from generations to revelations. Well, we don't really understand it all. But they can understand the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, no matter wh who you are, where you've been, you believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life if you trust in him. He loves you so much, he died for, your, died for you. See, a child will go, for me? Yes, for you. It sounds like Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones. I know y'all singing it in your mind. <laughs> He's reminding us of the simplicity of the gospel. He's reminding us that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, many people need the excitement and joy of Jesus and his good news. So Jesus said he didn't reveal it to the wise and the understanding, but to little children. He probably only administered to them for a little while before he sent them out. They'd gotten enough to be dangerous. They'd gotten enough to go out and share the love of God. See, I remember that. We may have been excited like that once in our life. And if we are not careful, we can lose our excitement for the Lord and what he is doing and lose the ability to have the wonderful miracle of the Lord being revealed to us. And as they are revealed, being revealed to us, we share them with somebody. See, Jesus rejoiced because the 70 didn't logic themselves out of the kingdom of God being revealed to them. Or because of how wise in our own eyes we've become, 
we can't see the unfolding of God. See, maybe God hasn't, hadn't fully shown it yet, but we can see the layers. We can see the unfolding. We can see God getting there and moving and transforming hearts. And it's so important that we are joyful about every moment of what God is doing. Even in those rough times, God is doing. He says his word doesn't come back void. And so that person that, that slams the door and, re, and, and rejects what you just said, it ain't going back. It ain't coming back void. They're going to have to do something with it. And so God showed up for these 70, and he did something supernatural. And if we're not careful, if the disciples weren't at the right place, they would have missed it. They wouldn't have seen it. See, salvation is an easy, hard thing. Let me say it that way. It's easy enough for a little child to get it. But this world has complicated and made things so hard. It's hard to weave through all of that stuff for someone to just, because it requires that man put it down, woman put down all this stuff, all the what ifs, with all the questions to get to the point of I need him. And so we should never stop being excited about somebody coming to Jesus. Somebody coming to the Lord. Because the Bible says there's been a life that's been transformed. They've moved from death unto life. And it doesn't just stop there. Right after I got saved, the Lord led me to the scripture that said, and your whole household. A generation. A people after God. See, I don't mean to talk bad about my people, but my people were not a people after God. We were destructive. We were killing ourselves. But for the love of God, he met us at the very point of our need. And he didn't just stop with Jeff Williams. He stopped with Jeff Williams' whole house. He stepped, stopped, he with Jeff's mother, Jeff's sister. I saw God. I'm so thankful that I didn't give up and stop looking because I wouldn't have saw God do all of those wonderful things. See, look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. We know the prophet Jeremiah, as he's lamenting over Israel. He's having this grief. But he says these words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, in the midst of all of that trouble, he didn't forget that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So why did Jesus rejoice? 
to these little children, these 70, did not place their trust and confidence in themselves. They believed what Jesus told them. They did not provide for their own provision just just the same way little children do not. They depended upon Jesus for everything. His truth told them, his truth told to them, and them believing it, they they were joyful in what Christ was doing. They saw, they knew. It was revealed to them that Jesus was the way the truth, and the life. And so Jesus responded, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will to reveal this, to show to them, to allow them to see you, to allow them to see your kingdom come to others. See, the ancient Greek word for rejoice is referring to to exceptional rejoicing and exaltation. That's what Jesus is doing. He's rejoicing and he's exalting God. Jesus rejoiced exceptionally, strongly, but he also rejoiced deeply in the spirit because God had been so gracious. He revealed these things to little children. This man of sorrow rejoiced and exalted God when his nameless children believed upon him, trusted in him, and prospered in him. So this is something the Lord desires for each and every one of us. He delights in his people trusting in him. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. See, Jesus is doing what the Heavenly Father does over us. Jesus is doing it right there. So, saints of God, don't get too mature and too safe that we miss the wonderful works of God. I'm not saying that we not grow in wisdom and understanding, but not in our own eyes. Don't get so mature that we miss the simplicity of God's love. And so as I close with blessed to see, blessed to see, Jesus turns, he turns to his disciples, the 12, and he said privately in Luke 10, 23, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. See, just just think about that a little bit. Here's the disciples, they're probably watching these 12 coming back, I mean, excuse me, these 70 coming back. They're seeing and hearing all the things that have happened. 
They're seeing how these same people probably came to Jesus and Jesus talked to them about the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven. God, Jesus poured into them. He sent them out. They probably went out and was, was kind of feeling a little easy. They probably didn't have a smile on their face. They probably wasn't jumping up for joy knowing they had to go and. But they came back different. They came back joyful. Because they made the appointment. Jesus knew that they were going to have some resistance. They were going to have, and they didn't resist within themselves. And they saw them coming back like little children, rejoicing, excited. See, Jesus, in a way, is saying, do you see what is happening? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you see God is singing and rejoicing over them? Many have wanted to see it from kings to prophets, but you are seeing the kingdom of God come. You are seeing God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That will be done. That kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, I'll share this final illustration with you. I was in my early 20s and I was at home. I was at Fort Seal, Oklahoma, and probably, it was probably a year in, that put me about 23, and I received this phone call one day, the phone rung, and back then we had phone, we had actual phones in our house with a line, and back then we actually picked it up, answered it, because you didn't get all these robocalls and things. And so I picked the phone up and I said hello and there was someone calling for someone else and I said, that person doesn't live here. But I could hear in the person's voice that there was some concern, something going on. And I don't know why at the time, but I said, are you okay? I said, Do you want, would you like to talk? And the person started talking. The person just poured out was pouring out, it was like just like a water hose and started pouring out their life. And what was going on? They were grieving, they were hurting. This person uh, at the time was homosexual. He didn't understand why things were so hard for him. He, he, he was hurting over it. And I started talking to him about Jesus. I started sharing with him that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a plan for you. I started talking with him about that, and he started listening. Random stranger on the phone. I'm like, I don't even get to see him. I don't get to see the rejection in his face. I don't get to see none of that. I just shared. And then after I shared and talked with him, he said, I'm so glad that 
you answered the phone and you talked with me because right before I called you, called this number that was the wrong number, I had a knife in my hand and I was about to cut my wrist and end my life. And he said, I'm so glad you picked up the phone. You answered. And I said, well, Again, I don't know why I said this, too. I know now, but then I didn't know why. I was like, well, where you live, I'm going to come over. <laughs> and after I said that, a thought, thought went through my mind. I said, man, this guy could kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and I even thought, now I'm not trying to make it my blood. So I'm like, this guy could rape me? <laughs> and I'd be a dead raped corpse. <laughs> he gave me his address. I felt the resistance. Got in my car. I'm praying, Lord, equip me. Lord, strengthen me. And I got to his house. He opened the door. When he opened the door, this was a big guy. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Lord, you have a sense of humor. <laughs> and I went in. And we sat and talked. And I watched the Holy Spirit just move on him, soften his heart. And I watched him surrender and give his life to the Lord. And I saw this joy come on his face. And I was blessed by God to see that God loved him so much. He was willing to take a broken, wretched, messed up person like me as a vessel. So that God's wonderful works would continue and continue and continue. And I was blessed to see See, God wants to do that for each and every one of us. And he's reminding us, he's speaking to our heart. That he, when we step out in faith and trust him, he's rejoicing in the midst. When we step out in faith and go with him, he's there in the midst with us. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And he's mightier than anything the devil can do, any work of the enemy. He's Alpha and Omega. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can make a homosexual straight. He can save a wretch like you and I and put us on a new course of life. And we get privileged to see his wonderful work. If we do those two, three things, make the appointment. Don't resist. And be like a little child. Watch what God does.